Game of Thrones Flashcast. We have run through all of Season 1 from the perspective of people who've seen all the way through Season 7. This is Season 1, Episode 10. We have reached the end of Season 1. I'm Jason Snell, and joining me on this journey that took us from the, uh, the I don't even know, from up in Winterfell where there was that guy that they cut his head off, all the way to now are the following wonderful people. Monty Ashley, hello. Hello, Jason. And Brian Hamilton, hello. Tell me, which do you prefer, Jason, your fingers or your tongue? Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode is called Fire and Blood, <laughs> and it has both. So that's good. Good. That's good. I think that's a cl- classic uh, uh, fit, in- fit of this podcast. Like, before we got our identity as the people who don't remember the names of the characters or that we've seen them before. I, feel I deny like- that that's our identity. I want to distance myself from that. I can spell everyone's character names. Okay. I'd like to be excluded from this narrative. All right, fine. But what I'm saying is that when we started this, I felt like our thing was going to be... Um, what what let's interpret the episode title every time that's true fire and blood well there's both we got them both um there could have been more fire honestly there well they saved they saved the fire for the big the big finish uh there still could have been more fire um all right so we will start in king's landing lots of stuff happens in king's landing um we are we are immediately in the aftermath of ned getting his head chopped off and we get a reprise basically of the fact that the guy from the night's watch says to Arya, we're going north you know we're going north north boy you're a boy now he cuts off her hair and he basically is like this is how i'm going to get you out of here and get you safe it's going to be dangerous but this is what it's going to be boy so that's there the is very, very little communication in that moment of what is happening <laughs> and to Arya's credit she picks it up a lot faster than i did when i first saw this episode right. why does he take why is he <laughs> taking that sword out oh god what's he doing how, how come none of those people up there are turning around at all to see this the execution's over what's so exciting <laughs> <laughs> well you know there's like the the like a chicken with their head cut off right he's probably like ned's body's probably flopping around and stuff that's probably part oh, of the now, game now i'm mad that we saw the haircut why yeah. couldn't um so there's that then uh then that is just like our first little bit but we come back to king's landing a little later in the episode and we get i think as as referenced by uh by brian a good view into what the new Joffrey administration is going to bring to the proceedings. We see, as if him deciding on a whim to kill Ned was not enough, we see a singer cross-legged on the floor singing a song that is definitely not kind to the Lannisters. It's about the the uh, death of King Robert. It features the line, The lion ripped his balls off and the boar did all the rest. It's nice that he got to do a final ver- a final performance of the song before the court. <laughs> I want to I want to know what his what his uh, like um instructions were. Did they say if you change a single lyric from what you were what we heard in the in the tavern on the road, um we'll we'll kill you right there while you're sitting there playing. We have um, lyric genius up on the yeah. other window, so we're going to well, we're going to be fact checking. Cuz that would be I a have... good like a, like comedy sketch like a like a or like a like a Monty Python bit which is the he, he turns it into something entirely complimentary about how great the Lannisters are uh while he's sitting there on the floor again playing this song but he does it he does it straight up apparently or it was much worse before and it's still not very good (laughs) every time i watch this i forget that this is joffrey like making someone do this weird uh song for him and i every time i watch this i think oh this is a funny song wait wait why is it being oh right he tries to kill him this is the this is the evidence that he was do he was doing a song that was offensive to the king um, and, and they dragged him, dragged him here to 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 perform again. And he performs it, and he performs it straight up, which I, I think is kind of funny that he I, that he has to do that. Like, I think he has to be assuming he's going to be executed, uh, so you might as well get one last performance out. And I really do. I mean, look, I hate Joffrey as much as the next guy. I think Joffrey would have been justified in executing this dude. The fact that he only mutilates him actually kind of merciful. You can't be having no. trees. Well, you can't by be having own treasonous logic. songs sung about you on your first day as king. You just can't have it. Well, it's not really about Joffrey so much as it is about his his mother, though, right? Like, it's really about Cersei. That's still treason. 
It it yeah, I suppose it is. I you don't know. Got I got to I, crack down that now. That's really okay. Guys. Okay, Monty, your point is well taken, and yet I'm going to say this is a scene <laughs> that is all about the casual cruelty of Joffrey because he does toy with the guy, right? Well, your fingers or your tongue, which would you value more? And it's very clear that you're you're going to either get your hands cut off or your tongue cut out. And, and he, now, and, again, and I want to ask each the- of you, what would you choose if you had to either have your tongue cut out or your fingers chopped off? Uh, I would choose keep my tongue because I like podcasting more than I like typing. I think the guy made the right choice. I put some thought into this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pretty good with the harp, yeah. so he can keep working. Yes. And when you think about it, it's his tongue that got him in trouble. Mm-hmm. If he'd just been playing that tune, he wouldn't be here. I agree with you, Monty, that this guy made the right decision. Um, and... I would, I, as much as I like podcasting, I think I would also go with uh, with having my tongue cut out, only because I think I would like as 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 this gentleman says, you gotta you gotta have your hands right. Yeah. Like if you can if you can have your hands, you should probably have your hands. And bonus, if you don't have a tongue, probably a lot easier to eat healthy. Because what difference does it make at this point? I suppose that's uh, an interesting <laughs> point. The tongue, the okay. the tongue, the Joffrey diet is what it is. It's the Joffrey diet. Um, we get a lot of clarity here about who Joffrey really is. It's very good. The, gro- take, the gross part for me is when Joffrey is sociopathing at Sansa while this guy is just screaming in the background. Yes, that that's actually where, I, where I made my note about this is clarity of who Joffrey is. Uh, and then, he, of course, he takes her out to see, uh, walk with me, right, to see your father's head on a pike. And, oh, you should look at it. You should also look at, there's there's the nurse who raised you, the, uh, you know, the, the septa. She is also there. Isn't that nice? Uh, but uh, and you know who's not there anymore is George W. Bush. Oh, that's y'all good heard about point. this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. The in the original uh, aired version of Game of Thrones on HBO, uh, there they used as a prop on one of the heads on spikes a mask of George W. Bush with a bunch of uh, hair on it, like in Westeros style. But with the chin and the mouth and everything, it was still pretty recognizable. And they didn't catch it for a while, right? Because I still have a DVD version of the first season with that clip in it. And I don't think they realized for like a year until someone realized, hey, that's George W. Bush. We need to edit that out of the next broadcast of the episode. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Joffrey says, I'll give you Rob's head, uh, too, to which Sansa kicks back a little and says, maybe he'll give me yours. Um, but, and this leads to another, you know, bit of casual that we, again, we're, 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 we're getting to see who, who he is here. He says, oh, my mother says I'm not supposed to hit a lady. So, um, Sir Marin. <laughs> Yeah. Hit the lady. Nothing wrong with telling someone else to. <laughs> Incidentally, earlier in this scene, we were reminded just how young Sansa is. Right. She hasn't had her period yet. Yeah. This is a prepubescent girl being the, the, smacked yeah. in the face by a knight with a metal glove on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sir Marin, very classy. Very, very classy dude. The lady hitter who he keeps nearby. That guy is the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a moment that I had forgotten, which is really actually kind of great, which is Sansa has that moment where she thinks, you know, I could just walk over there and and pull Joffrey. I, I think what she's thinking is pull Joffrey off this bridge so that we both plunge to our deaths. Yeah, I thought she was thinking about jumping at first and then she sees him and she's like, well, I mean, if someone's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and then the hound interrupts. And I really like the hound-Sansa the hound. relationship. Yeah, because yeah. It's complicated and it's not black and white. Like the hound works for the king and he's huge and scary, but he seems to actually like Sansa, like as a person. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and when and this this is a little echo of his uh, Arya relationship to come, and the Hound. I am fascinated by that character because he does have what I what I described it as sort of strange mercy that he shows here. He says, "Save yourself some pain, girl. Give him what he wants, um, but keep the handkerchief because you'll need it again." Because this is going to happen again, and he's a cruel bastard. Like he already knows how this is going to go, but he is trying to. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't like say, "Oh, she tried to kill the king. Take her away." Right? He doesn't do any of that because he's got he, within the bounds of what his job is. He shows some um, strange level of compassion. I think he's fascinating. 
Enough compassion to warn Sansa about what's about to happen, but not enough to do anything about it. Well, like Varys, I think it's very much like I have my role to play and this is the role and this is my job and this is what it is. And within those restrictions, I will try to do things that I think are right, but that's it. Like that's as far exactly. as he's going to go. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's this, that's this scene. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot there, but it really the message is, um, y- yeah, Joffrey is terrible. Like this is this one scene makes it very clear who Joffrey is. And it's a little terrifying that they got to this point because he didn't listen to his mother. Because as much as we don't really like Cersei, she does sort of like have a plan. And like Joffrey is the king now, so he can ignore her if he wants to. And that's not that's not good. Um, The next scene we get, speaking of Cersei, we get a we get a brief scene that is essentially just there. I believe to show that uh, when Jamie is away, Cersei is happy to have sex with other Lannisters, like Pretty Pretty Lancel, who is her uh, her designated <laughs> boy of the moment. Uh, stop talking. Get into bed. Yep, <laughs> that's your we, job, kid. Come on. Yeah, yeah. But just just a little. You know, if if you were wondering if Cersei spent all of her time with Jamie not around, kind of wishing for Jamie to come back. Uh, nope. Nope, nope. Uh, but you know, good for her. Like, it's nice. This is all, this is actually a rare example in this show of a woman having a uh, man as her sexual plaything, and he him having gratuitous nudity. Doesn't happen a lot on this show. That's true. That that I fair point. <laughs> yep. And looking forward, you can kind of see why Lancel eventually has like a crisis of conscience uh-huh. and goes into the church because at some point he has to ask. Is this what I am? Yeah. Is this what there is to my life? I have sex with my cousin on demand, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, the next scene we get at King's Landing involves uh, Meister Pycelle. This is the scene that I I could not wait to see again, because, and at the time, it just blew me away. So, he is uh, rambling on, oh, the thing about kings, the thing you need to know about kings, in the past 67 years, I've known more kings than any man alive. Is he only 67? Well, yeah. well, I mean, wow. uh, he's known kings for 67 years. He may be much older or he may not be. Who knows? Yeah, that's, mm, that's, that's the right. But he's like, oh, complicated men. But I know how to serve them and keep on serving them. Eris was a good man. Oh, such a charmer. Blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, uh, 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 the hardest working whore in Westeros. This scene Ra- is so it's Roz. Roz is, wa- is, is like in the background moving a little bit and we just get little bits of her. She washes up There's as he is rambling about kings. And after he's rambled for like four hours or so, it felt like, mm-hmm. then she sits down and just looks super bored while he keeps talking. And I got to say, if the scene is already boring, putting another character into it who looks bored yeah, doesn't really enhance my enjoyment of the scene. Well, so I know what they're trying to do here, which is put me what, to sleep. Which is what we're going to get to in a minute. Well, they're trying to do this 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 twist on who what Picel is doing. But I agree with you; it goes on too long. And then, yes, you have to go to the point of showing the person being bored. So, the, yep, Roz is bored too, just like the rest of us. And it's too bad because I really like when she finally talks and she's like. Okay, so the thing you, we need to know about kings is what? That's how you started. And he's like, I, I, what? Don't, I don't even know. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> and she just rolls her eyes and, and, and leaves. And, and, uh, and, and so I think it goes on too long. But I like it because I like that she's rolling her eyes. And I just love the fact that the moment that she's gone, he springs up and does a bunch of stretches and is very clearly not hunched over. And he's super uh, spry and not at all as decrepit as he's led everybody to believe, including us. <laughs> and then, and then as he's about to leave, he then slumps down and opens the door and slowly shambles away. And that part makes me laugh every time. I love it because even this guy is a complete uh, player of a game. I, I, I'm going to propose a different interpretation of the events of that scene. Okay. Yes, you there. Um, when he is doing those stretches, it's the only time he's not carrying around those big heavy chains. Uh-huh. So I propose that the reason he is shuffling around in all of his other scenes isn't to fool people, but because he's got hundreds of pounds of big, heavy chains around him. I I disagree because there is a moment when he's standing at the door where he's fully upright, and then the moment right before he opens the door, he slumps 
and then pulls the door open. And that reads to me that he is now performing. Yeah. That's, okay, I'll buy it. But you know, I I think you're right. I mean, there are there are he is wearing chains. That 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 is totally part of the the thing. But you know, but I, he's more than he appears to be because also he's this meister. We've sort of viewed him maybe as like a uh, a bit of a uh, 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 I don't know a monkish figure. But we see that he's having sex with with a whore, mm-hmm. and um, he is maybe more physically adept than we thought he was. And it, it that's the message. This whole scene, which goes on. A long time has a couple of laughs in it but really the whole thing is just to say aha even he is more than he appears to be uh you know it's kind of a long way to go for the punchline but i do like the punchline i do um all right so varus and littlefinger we got to check in with them too this is really like check in with all the players in the aftermath of ned being yeah. executed and here How's they ha- everyone doing yep they have a little back and forth um and Varys asks Littlefinger, when you imagine yourself up there in the Iron Throne, how does it look? And he talks about, well, you know, the people who, all the people who laughed at you uh, or repressed you or whatever. And he's like, oh, well, they won't be laughing because they won't even have their heads at that point. Um, but <laughs> again, we get the point here that we've, we've heard before and we will see again that Littlefinger is sort of playing to win. And Varys is not. Varys says, I'm one of the few people here who does not, one of the few men here who does not fancy himself on that throne. And then uh, Littlefinger basically says, ha, ah, and you're, you're not really a man. And, and Varys is like, really? That's the best you got? Which I really like. That was awesome. Yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes in the entire show. <laughs> I, I, I guess this is my um, uh, Pycelle scene because this, it, it reminds me like of something out of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's like, it's so funny and out of left field but it still plays into all the other things we've come to know and expect from a whole season of game of thrones and it's just the writing is so freaking good i love these two characters together they very rarely have any time alone it it felt like they were both performing this really great role as a part of the royal party because of you know they, they finally get to be alone and this is still what they do together and how they act together i love it so, um, and then Joffrey comes in at the end and they're like, oh, long may you reign, whatever. And uh, <laughs> let's have another on. meeting. I bet yep. we'll make really good decisions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so moving on, we get back to Ari, the orphan boy, as she, Arya has been instructed to pretend to be. <laughs> he does not think much of her ability to remember a fake name. No. no Ari this the- is the... We're just taking one letter off of your real name. Yep. Try not to screw it up. You're Ari the Ophrim boy, a long way to travel, and in bad company, there are rapists and kids that have been taken out of the dungeon and all sorts of stuff. And he says, keep you keep to yourself or a Lockean in the wagon with these three. Those three guys are terrible, and we'll see more of them next year, and they're terrible. One um, of them doesn't have a face, though. Oh. Uh, that's true. You, you got that. Two kids uh, immediately bully her um, and uh, try to take her sword, and she pulls out her sword and basically says... I already killed one fat boy to the to fat kid, <laughs> and she's like, "I can kill I, you too. I I kill people. You killed anybody? I don't think you have." And they're they're kind of you know she's intimidating them, and one of them backs up into, "Hey, Gendry," and Gendry's like, "Yeah, hey. you know, I'm the, I'm here too." And then they they scamper off, and and they have a little moment where Gendry and and Arya kind of have a have have a little moment of we're not awful people in this collection of awful people. This is finally payoff for Arya's character building throughout the whole season because she was never fit for the castle, and she always wanted to be one of these like rough and tumble people. But mm. even though it's a terrible situation, she still gets to you know threaten people with her sword and feel good about it. Yeah, she's now the ragamuffin she always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I did notice in this scene. This might be nitpicking. Gendry really doesn't have the physique you would think an armorer's apprentice would. Hmm. What like, f- what physique are you expecting? huge blacksmith Mm. arms yeah if he's forging armor which we've been told he has that's a lot of hammer work yeah yeah he i think that's how he's described in the books too so it really is just this is the actor they liked so (laughs) yeah it's easy in a book and he had huge shoulders there done done All right, let's move on to Winterfell. There's not a lot hap- that happens here, but we do get this one creepy scene. A, a, a raven arrives. We know. As, 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 <laughs> you mean the same scene we've seen twice already? Yes. I, well, it's Only that, twice? A, ra- a raven arrives. Dark wings. 
dark words. Uh, scary. Uh, <laughs> I am the terror that flaps in the night. They're, they're down. They're down in the crypt. Uh, Brand's talking about how he had a you know vision of uh, Ned in the crypt, and uh, and there's a scare in the crypt because there's a shaggy dog is in the crypt. Ah, and and, and we get Rickon we, gets Rickon, like yay. one of his like, only lines of dialogue. Rickon here. This might be his biggest scene. His big scene, where he says, I also had a dream about father down here in the crypt. Ooh. Yes. Spooky. <laughs> Here's my unique character thing. I, I had the same dream, Brandon. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> and Shaggy Dog. Come on, Shaggy Dog. He's got the best dog name. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all that sure. happens in Winterfell. The boys uh, have a vision of Ned being dead, and that's because Ned's dead. And, and then they get a note saying, Ned's dead. Ned's dead. Yeah, that's right, Raven. It came. Uh, let's go to the camp where yeah. Rob is. So um, we see Kat walking away from the camp, and it becomes clear that she has just gotten the news and is devastated uh, that Ned is dead. And uh, meanwhile, there's a noise, uh, and Rob has also gotten the news and is smack is trying to chop down a tree with his sword, or at least get his rage out with his sword and wrecks his sword and is very upset and says, "I'll kill them all." And she says, "Now, now, Rob, we, your sis, they have your sisters. We have to get them first, and then we'll and then kill, we them, kill all. them all." <laughs> By the way, his sword was doing very little to that tree. Yeah, her delivery of that line, "You'll you've ruined your sword," has always perplexed me. Because the look in her eyes doesn't seem like grief. It feels very manic in a way. I don't know. That line has always confused me. I, I Well, I agree with it. Like, you can't just wang a sword into a tree without messing the edge up. Yeah. Also, uh, mom. That's your verb? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, te- it's a technical term for what you do with a sword. In, uh, <laughs> in Brian, let me tell you about a great television show called Forged in Fire. Nope. This is Okay. It's a really good show. <laughs> Villain edit. Now I'm the incomparable. Yep. That's right. So anyway, uh, also she's a mom, and she's basically like, "Look what yeah. you're doing to your sword. Get it together, boy." That's you're gonna going to need that. So um, the very next scene here is uh, that a uh, one of the one of the general northern dudes. Somebody could probably tell me exactly who it is, but I don't really care. Says we need to pledge to Renly, and uh, and then we'll get him from both sides, and we'll take out stupid Joffrey. And somebody else says, "Oh, but Renly, what about Stannis?" And uh, and then I believe it's the great John who says, here's what I say about those kings. <laughs> the king in the north. And the, this is the argument that wins the day, which is <laughs> the those guys, the those guys suck. King in the north. And everybody goes, yeah, they do. Southerners do suck. King in the north. And Rob's like, oh, OK, I guess I'm the king in the north. Then that's going to be our, our strategy for the legitimacy of the <laughs> crown is we're going to just say the north uh, secedes and y'all can just go back to the south because we're out of here. They just immediately throw out what Ned cared very much about, which was the law, which said that it should be Stannis. Right. They're like, eh, no, we don't care. No. Mm-mm. No. All right. It's an interesting moment politically, right? Because yeah. Rob, uh, you know, who is Rob loyal to at this point, since it's not his father? And they could pick one of the Baratheon brothers, but they decide that those aren't particularly interesting yeah. either. So we're just going to... You know, everybody hates the hey, it's Joffrey, but they're not willing to uh, proclaim somebody else as the king. So I kind of feel like the show hasn't given enough time on Rob for this scene to really hit the way it should. Like Rob is declaring himself king. Just and and just what we've seen of him on the show. I don't know that much about him yet. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's been declared king more than he's declared himself king, but I agree. This goes back to your criticism last episode about how, or maybe two episodes ago, about how, um, you know, his, he has this one great victory and they keep talking about it (laughs) and we never, we never saw it. It's just, we're told that it was this great strategic move that got them Jamie Lannister and everybody talks about it. The problem with doing that shorthand is you've lost some time that would have made rob that much more impressive in our eyes for this moment and it's just kind of not not there at the time i went with it but i see what you're it's not there's not a lot to get to the point where everybody says king in the north it happens very quickly in retrospect the most interesting thing to me in this scene is seeing theon swear loyalty to rob yeah and knowing how that's gonna go Mm, yeah 
Yeah, I was thinking again about the thing that I mentioned last time, which is I'm fascinated by this idea that the North is always sort of a tenuous part of any coalition with the rest of Westeros. They think of themselves as different. They've got the different gods. Um, The Iron Islands, too, have a different god. They've got the Drowned God, so they're not also not part of the kind of uh, the rest of Westeros. Um, We we got that note about how the Wildings worship the old gods, too, so that the uh, North of the Wall is really more like the North in a lot of ways than the Southern are and so that leads you to this moment where um the northern bannermen are happy to basically just say let's go back to the way it was presumably a long time ago where the north was its own kingdom and we're just going to do that because we're that different um and at all it's nice to have gotten to this point seeing a little bit of that evidence along the way i think which is where that language comes from to the king in the north they, they they never called ned their king this is the time when they're saying okay we need a king in the north and now it's rob stark right right because he's the lord of winterfell right so he would be the king if there were if there were still seven kingdoms with seven <laughs> kings but yeah that's fascinating to me that they're seceding but they're not seceding from the whole feudal structure they all agree clearly we need lords and peons and we I need to have sworn loyalty to someone. They just want to change the starting point a little bit. Well, yeah, it's like saying we're we're seceding and forming our own country, and our governor is now, you know, is still the the leader of the state. It's just now we're we've seceded, as opposed to it's a revolution and we overthrown everything. It's not. It's like, hey, the Lord of Winterfell is still the leader of the North. We're just going to say that that's the king now. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's northern politics, man. It's just uh yeah. So um Cat goes to see Jamie Lannister. He is being a, his his jerkiest possible self. Do you think so? Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Before it, she hits him oh, with uh, before she hits him uh, with the rock. Yeah, I think he's 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 I think we've seen him be much jerkier. Mm, I don't know. I mean, he's trying to get a rise out of her. He's being he's I feel like he's playing the part of uh, of Jamie Lannister and trying to cut her work. Her husband just died and he's like, oh, you know, you're feeling lonely. Is your bed empty? I could take care of you. I mean, that's pretty pretty rough to say to somebody who just found out her husband is dead, I would say. That's, that's, I think, I think he's being, I think he's, he's being as mean as he possibly can be. I do enjoy the fact that then she just hits him on the head with a rock. Um, I, I think he's great. accepted that they're going to kill him so he doesn't feel the need to grovel. Well, that's I, like she. Yes. She's clearly just came up here to throw rocks at somebody who was tied up. So I don't know that I even think Jamie is the jerkiest person in the scene, since Caitlin's decision to go torture one of her prisoners is. Well, I don't think she's. I don't think she's going to torture him. I think she's going to kill oh, him. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think she's just. I think she is literally going to beat beat him to death. That's torture and then murder. Okay, I and guess. What do you mean you guess? He's a you don't get to take gonna, rocks and just fling him at the head of a prisoner. I, I don't think she's going to fling him. I think she's just going to She co- did. All right. Okay. <laughs> but you don't th- think she's going I, to I we think, saw her do it. I, I don't think that uh, this is a really weird argument to have, but I I don't think the act of trying to kill somebody that the that the hurt you get along the way is somehow anything but just part of the act of killing them, but I think she's there to get her revenge for Ned's murder by killing him and uh then she stops. But I, I don't think her plan at any point is to make him really hurt and moan and then leave. I think I, the way I read it is she's there to, to kill him. You know, straight, I, not, not, not just to inflict pain and walk away. I think in this scene, Jamie behaves far better than Kate. Caitlin. Sorry, I couldn't decide what I was saying. Cat or cat? No, <laughs> I disagree. Uh, even okay. though in, in, in that moment where... It is also wrong to mistreat one of your prisoners in that way. He had it coming. Oh, my God, did he have it coming? Absolutely not. I he was rude to her. So she gets to do that. I would say his uh, his family killed her husband. And so if she wants to kill him, uh, she gets to. But I, but but again, the Starks that, make I, Starks I, make bad decisions, right? I think that's what's going on here. Is Jamie Lannister is far more valuable to them alive, but she wants to kill him because she is furious about her husband being killed, and that's what's going on when she goes to see him with the rock. She was trying to kill Tyrion a couple episodes ago. I I do not think she's making justified decisions at any point. Or behaving at all well. Neither are the Lannisters. 
yeah. uh, Jamie didn't kill Ned. Yes, and Jamie, Jamie is a helpless. Got is a helpless. He is a helpless and, captive. And yes. for the crime of being rude to his captor. No, I I, I don't no, buy no, it. I, don't th- I do not think Jamie's rudeness even rises to the level of oh, rudeness. I just J- don't. J- you don't kill and, you don't kill Jamie because he's rude. You kill him because he's a Lannister, and the Lannisters killed your husband. That's the reason you kill him. His rudeness yes. is irrelevant. His rudeness is just him being a, a jerk, either because he thinks he's going to get executed, I, or what, because what I'm he's just. Is, a I jerk. don't think he's being rude. I don't. I'm. I don't agree with the premise that what he said was that bad. This I is honestly, the part of Westerosi culture wait, you're going to nitpick? Wait, wait, wait a second. You I'm don't, not you don't nitpicking, think, you don't Brian. T- I'm saying that I disagree with you. You don't think that it's that bad that a woman who just found out her husband was killed, that the first thing you say to her is, are you feeling lonely? Maybe I could have sex with you and make you feel better. Like, is that really not uh, one of the most ghastly things one could say to somebody who just discovered that her husband had his head chopped off? Given the power dynamic in that scene, No. Furthermore, I think, if anything, he's just trying to bait her into killing him. I agree with which that. Which she doesn't, instead choosing to just chuck rocks at his head. Yeah. I, no, I agree with that. I think that, if anything, he is trying to bait her. That is, and, I think that's his only play, right, is to get her furious and see what happens. Partly because I think he's resigned to the fact that he's he's probably dead anyway. And also that he doesn't like being powerless. And one of the, the only things he can do to exert any power at all is to make her angry. But... In addition to that, since he's accepted death, he's remarkably forthcoming. Like, did you put, did you push Ben out the window? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, but he doesn't admit to what he saw. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting. I feel like if it didn't incriminate Cersei, he would have. Possibly. That makes sense. But also, Cersei is, you know, Cersei will still be there once he's dead if Cat kills him. So that makes sense. Right. He doesn't want to drag Cersei's reputation down with him, but he also doesn't feel the need to lie about stuff. So I think one of the things that's interesting here is strategically, we have seen a lot of people make rash decisions that have huge ramifications. Uh, This is an instance in this scene of Cat not doing the thing that she may be planned on doing and killing him and ha- trying to, you know, ki- she makes it, in fact, in the next season, she makes a very different decision involving Jamie, yeah. which is she takes him away or she lets him go. Right. And, well, and, yeah, it's after he gets to the redemption arc where he acts like a human and gets beat down for like four episodes. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So she makes a different decision there. But I will say, I don't think her killing him would have made any difference to how things play out from from this point on like literally it doesn't matter because they never use him he he she she ends up (laughs) releasing him they never use him for anything they never trade him for anything the only only value that he ultimately gets is that he's still on the board long after catelyn is dead and he makes some decisions that are not awful yeah tywin i'm going to argue in the next scene we talk about already considers jamie dead yeah yep 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 yeah well i mean and you kind of have to you kind of have to oh yeah but you can't go around letting your enemies have power over you just because they captured one of your children you've got like 50 of those things and i think that one of the reasons that we see this scene is to show uh, it perversely that catelyn deciding despite her fury she's not going to kill jamie today anyway um it doesn't matter in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that she doesn't kill him. She could have killed him. It didn't matter. She doesn't get a reward. She doesn't get her moral dessert from not killing him. Uh, they don't trade him for anything. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Like, you know, and and that's just that's just the truth of it is Ned, exactly. Ned is dead. And, you know, as as uh, Rob is told or not Rob, as John is told in a scene we'll get to in a little bit, you're going to bring him back to life. It's like it's over. It's done. Well, I don't know. There's a bunch of ways to do that. It no, turns out. No, apparently, nope, yeah. nope, nope. I, I, hey, John. As I stand here in the the room <laughs> that uh, the head of the Night's Watch uh, lives in, there's no such thing as bringing people back from the dead. <laughs> All right. That's a that's a later <laughs> later scene. Uh, la- we are going to go next to the Lannister camp. Well oh, sussed out, Monty. Oh, Good job. Oh, hang on. I want to okay. do another piece right, of foreshadowing. Fine, fine. fine yes. Re- real quick. After all, this is a world without magic in it. Okay, mm, go ahead. okay, excellent. That's right. Well, we'll get there. Um, I'll make a note. 
Uh, okay, so Lannister camp, t- uh, they're like, hey, Rob is more dangerous than before. Again, they're talking up Rob, like, oh, this Rob, he's... A- and we get a very nice moment, which is basically, um, and it's Tyrion who says, well, or somebody else, we should we should sue for peace. Like, the, it turns out Rob's, Rob's whole maneuver has actually been wildly successful to the point where if Joffrey had not gone against the wishes of his mother and killed Ned Stark. They see an end game here. Like Tyrion sees the end game. We trade Ned for Jamie and we reach some sort of either agreement or they go and take the north and leave us alone and we leave them alone. There's some work to be done here, but because Ned got his head chopped off, there's going to be war and there's nothing about it. I think it's a really interesting moment of like what might have been, which is they are on their heels. And even though many Lannisters do survive for a long time after this, in this moment, the Lannisters kind of feel like they're in a serious disadvantage and would sue for peace if it weren't for the fact that Joffrey totally screwed it up by killing Ned. It was nice to see a moment. Every time I, I think back to the first season, I think the Lannisters cut off Joffrey's head or no, sorry, the Lannisters cut off Ned's head. That's not true. Joffrey cut off Ned's yeah. head. And I loved seeing Tyrion realize, nope, th- th- your son did this really idiotic thing, and now this is something we have to deal with. And I love that. <laughs> Officially, a Baratheon cut off Ned's head. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to remember that he's Joffrey Baratheon. <laughs> Golden-haired. Yeah. Um, I will say that the people who are advising Tywin have no read on the room at all. Like... Everybody but Tyrion's suggesting these things that Tywin is not going to agree with for a second. I I say, Tywin, have we considered surrendering? No, we're not surrendering. Hmm, well, let me propose this. What if we announced Rob was king? Yeah, sure. They did have one of those scenes that always bothers me where someone says, Everyone leave. And everybody leaves. And he, not without you. looking at anyone, he <laughs> not says, you. not you. Uh. Everybody knows he means Tyrion. How? <laughs> he should He should have... Well, Tyrion lingers. He's, he's, yeah. He lingers. Yes, I had that moment where I really wanted him to say, not you, you know, Tyrion, not you. But, like, I feel like... They, he, he can't bear to say, Tywin can't bear to say his name. He, he just, he, you know, he, it's so begrudging. This whole thing is begrudging. But I do love what, what a moment this is where Tyrion says, you were right about Eddard Stark. This was a giant screw up, basically. And now we're going to have madness and stupidity. I thought you were a stunted fool, but perhaps I'm wrong. And Tyrion responds, he is the most validation he has ever received from his father in his entire life. And he responds by saying, mm, half wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm self deprecating there yeah i'm new to i'm new to strategy which i think is interesting because he's so good at strategy but what the what the show is trying to say is this is really the point in Tyrion's life where for the first time he decides because he's given some responsibility he is sent to king's landing to be the hand of the king in uh in tywin's place that this is where Tyrion's going to come into his own and stop being a smart but uh drunken layabout and actually uh he has shown a glimmer of intelligence intelligence here that his father has seen and is going to put to use because tywin lannister uses all parts of the stag or the buffalo as we already saw in another scene earlier this season he's going to use everything he's got and my favorite go ahead my favorite thing about this scene is that it starts and ends with my son my son you are my son but he is my son and i love the difference between he's my son we're gonna get him back and you're my son. You're going to be the hand of the king. And it's so yeah. begrudging, like you said. And at the end, when he says, you're my son, he means that singular. You're my mm. only son at this point. Yeah, you're the oh, son. Oh, right, because right, they assume, yeah. yeah right. he, that's where he's like, you're going to be hand because you're my son. Yep. It's because Cersei clearly is not handling things. I need to... <laughs> Yeah, and and, and uh, Jamie is gone. So you will you will go to King's Landing and bring that boy to he- bring that boy King to heal. I love that, and his sister too. And you can't take your whore with you, he says, and that's because he it's Tywin Lannister, of course. And so the next scene with them, uh, of course, is Tyrion and Shay, who. <laughs> She's a little mean to him. Uh, yeah, she is. She is. She's grumpy that she's like, oh, you know, she says, oh, the funny whore. Is that what I am? And all that. Um, but uh, 
they have their conversation and he says, my father rules everything, the whole thing. Um, and he's terrible. Um, but he taught, but Tyrion's going to ignore his father and say, I believe the ladies could learn a great deal from a girl like you. You can be the hands lady, which is like, Oh, Tyrion. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's not going to go well, but <laughs> I sure hope this doesn't blow up in everybody's faces mm. in five seasons. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to go well. Not going to go well. But he's going to do it. Let's go to the Night's Watch, as previously foretold. Uh, John is going to leave. He's absolutely going to leave. He can't. He'll die. Sam stands in front of the horse. Uh, but you know, he just rides past Sam and and leaves with his direwolf following him. He's going to go fight with Rob and you know have his revenge for his his father's death. When they catch up with uh, John. They basically just bully him into coming back by reading the oath at him. But it's really good. I love this yeah. scene where they're all just saying the oath and the camera goes around them all. Also, also Sam gets hit by a branch and falls off his horse. <laughs> oh, Sam. Come on. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah. No, it's great. It's, it, it's a reminder of duty. And, and, and when in the next scene where the, the old bear is talking to him and he knows that John was gone, he was brought back and he says, honor brought you back. And he says, it's not my, or, you know, he said, no, my friends brought me back. And he said, I didn't say it was your honor. I I love that that's great too <laughs> you're not so great john snow no just because you're probably the protagonist of the whole series don't get too <laughs> uppity okay kid i have to say there this this episode is the one where where uh at the time i didn't really think of it but you watch it back now and you're like the last two scenes of this season the first season of game of thrones it's Jon Snow headed out into the into the ice north of the wall and Daenerys Targaryen um, completely burned in fire. A song yeah. of ice and fire, everybody. Figure it out. <laughs> Who are the main characters? Who's going to make it to the end? These two. They're your stars. If you Ghost and clear, Drogon. Do- Ghost and Drogon. <laughs> exactly right. Yes. It's a tale as old as time. A dire wolf and a dragon. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're going to wire it out. They're going to find Benjen. Maybe if he throws that in there, almost like, yeah, we'll find Benjen. Sure we will. But the dead are walking. And, and what I like about the old bear's speech to John is this is the, this is the part of the premise that's super important, which is, um, do you think your brother's war is more important than ours? Dead, dead men walk. Do you think it matters who sits on the throne? And this is going to be the <laughs> challenge throughout this, which is obviously there is an enormous supernatural threat coming from the north and all the people are not paying attention because they're squabbling among themselves and it's going to get everybody killed. And that's one of the dynamics I love about this show is that the people in the far off regions know something is coming and nobody wants to listen to them. It's great. It's terrible, but it's great. I but love it. It's such a good point that it, for me... Somewhere around season three or four, it started to undercut the series because I was like, you I know agree. what? I kind of don't care who the king is. Yeah, pay attention to the monsters <laughs> who are coming. Like, <laughs> you're all terrible rulers, and I don't care about any of your legal claims to begin with because, <laughs> yeah. again, the divine right of kings is not something I personally have a lot of investment in. So have your war and all that, but let's get on with the, the ice dragons yeah. and stuff. Exactly. I've always felt like it got a little old over time, which is why it was so cathartic to see finally the shakeout at the end of the very last season where, okay, we're actually finally talking about this. This is going to move really fast. We're finally going to get to where the past seven seasons have led to. And I, I agree. After about three or four seasons, I got really annoyed by um, by everyone not caring about everyone else and then not believing that the White Walkers existed. It, it got a little much. Um, let's see what else. Oh, that's it for that. So we got to go east. We got to go to the east now. I think we're going east. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so Daenerys is sleeping. She's not well. The last time we saw her, she was having trouble and was taken into the spooky uh, magic tent. Her child uh, died. It was monstrous. Uh, And scaly skin and wings. Yeah. Cool. Mm, And uh, insides were full of worms. And that's the point where Jorah was like, stop talking. Uh, Only death can pay for life. You knew the price. Um, and this is a very monkey paw kind of thing. The Kalasar is gone because the, there's no call. There's no Kalasar, so there's he's gone. And then there's only the sort of the the slaves that she she uh, took on who are there with her. Um, and this is where we get the monkey paw moment with the with the the witch lady who she's like, oh, he he's alive. He's got he's like completely in, in, like. 
comatose basically he sort of stares out but but there's no, there's nothing in drogo but he's alive and that's when the lady's like he lives you asked for life you paid for life when will he be better when the sun rises in the west and sets in the east she says <laughs> and that is uh and and she reveals yeah they burned my temple he was the stallion who mounts the world now he will trample no nations and she's like but i saved you he said they raped me three times before you saved me or piles of heads in the street the baker the kid i saved from a fever three months before tell me what you saved again it is that she's just like no i i deny that you were good um and i got my revenge on you and uh caldro goes so take that Drogo also became a metaphor for her life at that point as well, because she's alive, but who cares? Because there's nothing there. Her city is gone. Everyone she know and loved is dead. And same deal with Drogo, where he's, you know, a body that can live and breathe and not do anything else. And then after this big speech, the witch just kind of wanders back to what camp there is, because Daenerys doesn't care anymore. That it it's a weird way to end the scene, because you're like. So you're going to do something about her, right? Like, oh, no? Okay. Then the witch eventually gets revenged upon, but much later than it felt like should have happened. Mm-hmm. By which I mean two scenes later. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I thought that there was going to be a moment where she was like, kill her now, right? And yeah. Or she would kill her and that doesn't happen. But I think I think Daenerys is already playing the long game. She knows what's going to happen next. She's got a plan. She knows what's going to happen. So it's night. Uh, they're in the, the call's tent. She's washing Drogo um, and she smothers him with a pillow. And then they, <laughs> they build a pyre. Um, they lay dragon eggs up on the pyre. Um, Jorah says, no, 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 you should sell those and you can live like retired lady in one of the free cities. Uh, it'll be cool. And she says, no. Um, and he says, I know what you intend. Don't do it. I won't watch you burn. And this is a, this is a nuance I don't think I got the first time I watched it, which is, she says, oh, is that what you fear? Because Daenerys at this point knows that she doesn't burn yep and she's got the dragon (laughs) eggs and she's got a plan like she's like i'm gonna be the unburned the dragon um i'm gonna i'm gonna use these dragon eggs and i'm gonna hatch them i'm gonna kill the witch lady i'm gonna burn drogo's body it's gonna be like she she has a plan because she realizes now not just killing the witch she actually the rules of magic here say a life for a life so maybe i gotta kill somebody to make something happen yeah Mm -hmm. she's although she is gone to her uh, later stage stern not a lot of facial expression Khaleesi she, <laughs> she has not given up no no and I, I just I love that it, there's a way to read this if you aren't paying attention or it's or you don't know what is to come and I feel like the way I read it for whatever reason in the first season even though I read the books like I I viewed it as her a mixture of sort of desperation and uh despondency over drogo's death and the death of the baby when she walks into the fire like maybe something will happen or maybe she's just killing herself and this time watching it i'm like nope she is confident she is confident she gives that kiss to jorah on the cheek which is probably not great for their ongoing relationship (laughs) probably not a, a thing that she should have done um but like she she knows what she's doing and she frees the slaves and says take off your slave collars you can stay people leave i think that's really cool some of them are like okay great i'm out of (laughs) here um put the witch on the pyre i'm the dragon's daughter um uh and those who would harm you will die screaming and walks into the fire (laughs) what a way to go amazing i feel like they at one point they probably had the line fire cannot kill a dragon but said this is cooler without it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've said it before. Like we, yeah. we've seen her. We saw her with the hot water, and she isn't affected by it. We, we know. But right here, doesn't say it. She just walks on in. And this is the part where my mind has embellished this episode more than, than this, which is I remember the fire being this enormous fire and that yeah. and, 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 it, and it being this enormous, all consuming, shocking thing, which it's it's really not. And I find it really weird that it's like it's the dead of night and that's all going on. And then we cut to the next scene and it's it's kind of gray, like it's starting to be light. And there's some challenges of how you film that anyway. So perhaps they're cheating a little bit here. And the idea is it's the first glimpse of a light in the morning and it's still very dim because Jorah's kind of walking up 
and walking yeah, into did, the ashes. And it's like, did they not like look in and say, oh, hey, Daenerys is in there? No, you can't go to sleep while the thing is still burning. The whole point is that you have a big, cool, fiery thing. Right. And we probably should be doing some kind of like art installations or whatever happens at Burning Man. Sure, sure. I just, I, <laughs> I, and I feel like maybe what was missing was like almost like a shot. And, and perhaps because we know that, especially this first season, they didn't have the budget for, yeah. for this stuff. <laughs> exactly. I wanted a just... shot of like the, the flames, die, maybe even like some dissolves of like time passing and then like not being able to see through the smoke and the haze and not knowing where whether Daenerys was in there or not and then seeing that she was and Jorah coming up to her because the way it works it's more like I'm going to turn my back I don't know what's going on in there and then in a half an hour I'll come back and check and see if she's alive like that that is sort of how I read it and it's just that it shouldn't be that way it's a very it's a very weird time wise yeah and that's, that's my complaint about an otherwise incredibly cool scene is that I don't really understand why they like late, later Jorah walked into the fire pit and <laughs> And found Daenerys. It's like mm. I think it was just budget, just like yeah. skipping Rob's big victory. They were like, "All right, we have enough effects for the end of the season for this much fire and this much dragon, and we're gonna have to cut and then get to the reveal because the reveal is great. Is yeah, it, it it is amazing. It it is such an amazing scene in the middle of the fire pit. Daenerys is sitting there. She's naked. She's cross legged sitting there, and you see that climbing up. Over her shoulder, over her right shoulder, is a dragon, a little <gasps> baby dragon. This little dragon. And there and there are two other dragons as well who are climbing up her legs as she stands up. And um every and Jorah kneels and everybody kneels, and that's the end of the season. And it's amazing. The look of shock on Jorah's face is pristine. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean it gives me chills even thinking about it. It's so well done. And I will say this too, in a series that has lots of issues about violence toward women and sexual violence towards women. Lots of issues about the sexualization of women characters, especially all the sex position, all of those things. I will say, I think this scene with, um, with Daenerys completely naked um, with the dragons and standing up, having had everything burned off of her and her being untouched, it is the most sort of beautiful tasteful intelligent use of the fact that this is a show with nudity that the show does like this is an amazing this is not exploitative i would argue in any way this is like she's so awesome at the center she, of this fire pit <laughs> yeah. and it's like such a moment what a moment she is defiant and powerful oh, yeah. in her nakedness mm-hmm. you look at her and you go oh she's going to rule do the world everything <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. With her dragons, which is what happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's such a great moment. But you know, they they and you're right, Monty. It was very much like working back from. Well, <laughs> we need to show the dragons. <laughs> yep they they um, have their little story where it's like, this is what I want the last scene to be. Yeah, all right, <laughs> can I do the shot with the where the smoke is? Nope, you can't. Okay, we'll start over we, here and pan over then because we do need a shot without boobs so that people can write our, write articles about this but right. <laughs> that's the first thing i thought too when they, they it's a nice way to prevent spoilers for this when like other tv networks can't really run the footage of the dragons there cuz she's completely naked right <laughs> right yeah it is actually it's funny talking about the 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 smoke and all that i'm reminded of when i was in high school my friends and i made uh, a bunch of movies and one movie we made i remember we intended for like a character to come through a door and then see something on the other side and we didn't have a door so like literally the character just kind of walks and we pan over and they react and it's like they're just pretending there's another room and a doorway but there isn't it doesn't make any sense at all and i thought about that with the scene with jorah where they're panning over like okay you got me. Like, we can't. We, we just can't. This is what we have you, to do. You couldn't find a door? And quite frankly, well, we, we couldn't in the... It, it, it was complicated. There was... We could All not... Right. We could not shoot another scene in another location, and, and we needed somebody, so we just pretended, basically, that there was something there that nobody could see. It was... I don't understand it either, but it made sense at the time. <laughs> okay, sure. I, anyway, my point is, I think maybe what they said was, you know what? Amelia Clark with dragons... Uh, naked in the middle of this uh this fire pit uh nobody's gonna remember anything before that <laughs> it it'll be yeah. fine and yeah that's right the effect of the reveal is so good that it backformed a much more impressive scene into your head indeed and that's just good filmmaking yeah i think so <laughs> 
I, I think the so. other part of it is that the other the, the seasons since this have gotten so much more big and dramatic, especially about the dragons. So when you think about the dragons, you think about the like giant, incredible special effects they were able to do in um, seasons later on. But it just kind of reworked itself in your brain to make this scene feel a lot more, uh, you know, grandiose than it actually was. Yeah, they don't even show all three dragons very well because they could really only do the one on her shoulder. Yeah, well, I mean, that was, again, yep. <laughs> just like, like, let's we do what we, we can do, and that's it. All right, and then well, what happened? That's it. Then the credits rolled. What? Mm-hmm. what? No. That's the end of season one of Game of Thrones. There's dragons. They're alive, and Daenerys is alive, and Jon Snow is, wa- is riding to the wall, and Ned is dead, <laughs> and that's it. I don't know if everyone's alive. No. Just some people are alive. Others are dead, like Ned. And that's it. I, I That actually wraps up our season one review. So any uh, final thoughts before we go about how you felt watching season one again? And if anything surprised you? It kind, I don't want to say cheap, but it felt more made on a budget than the later seasons where they have the money to do anything they want. But I also like these smaller number of characters so you could actually keep track of everything like by the time you get to season seven this is such a small number of locations to have to keep track of oh yeah no you have like three or four different locations in this season Mm -hmm. and a bunch of different storylines and i i still maintain that especially after rewatching all of this that the first season of game of thrones is my favorite narratively because it was so tight it was all about ned and then Daenerys showed up but it was all about ned and uh him going to king's landing and doing all that stuff there and next it's going to become about five or six other different things and i think it took a while for the show to really get its feet in terms of how to navigate Mm -hmm. all of this extra stuff it's not that i don't like season two but i think season like two and three are the episodes i've seen the least in my rewatches of game of thrones with other people well so they're so indebted to george rr martin's books they feel like they must stick with them in a way that in later seasons they run out of books and they don't need to and (laughs) and you see it in like i i would bet you that if they had known from the beginning that they were going to get eight seasons and that George R. R. Martin was not going to have any more books published in the in that run, that they would say, do we really need all this stuff with Stannis and Renly? <laughs> well, I remember when this came out, there was a lot of worry about how how faithful they were going to be to the books. Yeah. Like, if they don't do it exactly like the books, it's wrong. And if they do it wrong, everyone will hate it. Which, it's at not- this point, I kind of prefer a crazy, like, Hannibal-style remixing adaptation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but- as somebody who doesn't spend any time in the fandom of the books, how have people reacted to them diverging from from them in as much as they have in later seasons oh. compared to how faithful they were to season one? Simple. Uh, everything that people like was George R. R. Martin's idea, mm. even if it hasn't shown up in the books yet. Everything that people <laughs> hate was created by the show people. Mm-hmm. That is... That that way, they can still like the saga and still like George R. R. Martin until the books come out and prove them wrong. Anything good was George R. R. Martin's idea. Anything bad was the TV show's idea. Yep. Seems fair. Interesting. So going forward, they must have taken that into account in terms of what they can get away with diverting from, especially once there's they ran out of books. I don't know. I just feel like uh, in the end, this is very clearly the story of um, of John and of Daenerys and maybe of the Starks and the Lannisters. And every time that they <laughs> mentioned in this episode, when they mentioned Renly and they mentioned Stannis, I just sat there thinking, oh, no. Because <laughs> oh, those, I mean, and there were good moments with Renly. Renly's death is amazing, and we get Brienne out of it. Yeah. And Stannis is. I don't want to hear any complaints about the smoke monster. Stan, Stannis is not great, although he's got because of Melisandre, he's got he's got some moments too. But like in the end, the show is not about them in <laughs> or like, any way. Yeah, looking back, 
the Baratheon brothers are as irrelevant as the whole Sand Snake detour. Yeah. And they take oh, a lot like more time. Snakes. I like them, but they don't have anything to do with anything. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, they could, speaking of like Rob's great off-screen victory, like having Stannis and Renly be around but never uh never seen would be fun i mean you wouldn't get like the black water i mean they're they're they they exist to give all the other characters things to to react to but just i never really was enthusiastic about those storylines so uh this episode this season feel feels more pure in that the baratheon brothers are off screen the whole time and we don't have to deal with them until next season and that limits the number like because this becomes the war of the five kings right like there are so many different people it's such a multi-axis war that breaks out and in this season that's not the case there's the lannisters and there's there's the north uh and rob's army but that's about it right it's not uh complex like that and and that keeps it streamlined which is good all right, well, that's it. Uh, again, to those who asked, will we watch season two or season three? Maybe. Uh, although my guess is that we'll probably next convene to see the last season of Game of Thrones. <gasps> now, um, this is one of those deals where the last season is split in two and uh, I believe are then aired separated by a year, I, right? I don't think so, but it wouldn't, <laughs> oh, I hope not. It wouldn't put it put it past, I wouldn't put it past them. I also don't know whether it'll be in the spring or the summer or the fall of next year. It could be a long I think way anyone off. does. <laughs> I, I you know if I had to predict I would predict that it'll be in the in the spring, but it might not be. So uh we don't know. If there's a lot of time but uh next year mm. before the, the show comes back maybe we'll watch another season but otherwise we will see you for season uh the season the last of game of thrones but until then thank you for listening um and and as always i have been your host jason snell thank you monty ashley thank you jason and thank you brian hamilton and here we stand three men in mutual admiration of each other uh, and I, I would recite. <laughs> Brian just wants us to know he took notes. I, I would recite. I didn't take any notes. Some sort I of haven't pledge taken any notes this season here uh, about the now his watch is over. Anyway, we'll see you in the future. Bye.